It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. This is indeed Roadworthy Drive. Welcome. I'm your host and automotive tour guide, Ken Chester. During this hour, as always, we have plenty to discuss and news to digest. But before we get to it, in breaking news, the EPA recalculates fuel economy numbers for 2017, and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety is up the bar for its top safety award. We're going to get to these in a few minutes. There's some Made in America news that I want to share during the second segment. While General Motors has, and get this, officially asked the U.S. Department of Transportation to ditch manual controls in its vehicles. Yep. Finally, there's a survey that compares the cost-benefit of an electric vehicle versus a traditional gasoline-powered one. All that and comments from the in-studio peanut gallery right here <laughs> on Roadworthy Drive. Oh, yeah, I called you all peanut gallery. I sure did. If you want to add your voice to the topics at hand, call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line. that number, 872-222-9793. If email is your preference, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.com. As always, I look forward to hearing from you. Now, Roadworthy Drive is a team effort that requires a dedicated team of people to make sure all is well in studio each and every week, despite what you hear sometimes. The adult at the controls is always, as always, is a radio professional extraordinaire. My friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Hey, Jack. Good afternoon, sir. How are you on this I, fine day? I, I am fine. Uh, radio extraordinaire, though. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. However, after the comment about the peanut gallery, <laughs> we may just shut your mic off. <laughs> Where's the love, bro? And Sasha and I will take over the show like we did a few months ago. Yeah, but I wasn't here then. No, you were not here. Now, sir. Yes, sir. In reading my notes for this week, mm -hmm. uh, the EPA changed their fuel economy uh, methodology? Yeah, that happens. Okay. It's the second time in about 10 years they've done it. Okay. So for those of us who are out here in the cheap seats who don't really know what the methodology is, okay. what are we talking about? All right. Let's back up. There's such a thing called the corporate average fuel economy standard. Correct. We've talked about that a lot There's here. also, when you look at a sticker on a car... Mm -hmm. You see a number for city driving, mm -hmm. miles per gallon, highway driving, miles per gallon. Yep. What we're talking about in this example is how the EPA calculates your city number and your highway number. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into the actual methodology, but some of the things that they look at when they're wanting to make a change is they look at uh, vehicle technology, driver behavior, and or changing driving conditions. They used as a benchmark for these changes vehicles that were built from 2011 to 2016 model years. Okay. And then they made their changes. Now, here's the thing. In most cases, they didn't change. But they feel that how they arrived at these numbers better reflect today's vehicle fleet since vehicles are more fuel efficient. And there's additional advanced technologies. There's hybrids. There's electrics. Uh, there are vehicles. There's a wider use of turbocharging. 
and in some cases supercharging. Now, here's my question. Mm -hmm. Did any of these changes raise the corporate fuel economy? None of them raised. So did they all lower then? Uh, Well, you know, I got to wondering about that. So I went to their site and I took three examples because I wanted I wanted to see what the difference was. Here's an example. Uh, 2014, I'm sorry, 2016 Ford Fusion. Okay. Um, the original fuel economy numbers, this is their four-cylinder uh, six-speed automatic. Okay. In other words, one they built a lot of. A lot of, yeah. All right. Um, on regular unleaded gasoline, uh, the old numbers, 22 city, 34 highway. Good numbers. Un- under the new numbers, yep. 22 city, no change, okay. 33 highway. Up change of one, yeah. Their com- it did not change their combined city and highway number, which to me, I think that's a bogus number. I, I don't like the combined number. I like to see the city and, and, and the highway. Now, I took another vehicle, Nissan Rogue, all-wheel drive. And the Nissan Rogue is a popular, small, um, compact crossover. Uh, the original was 25 miles to the gallon and 32 on the highway. Okay. Uh, the revision... 25 miles in city, 31 in the highway. So it lost a mile per gallon. And as a result, their combined number also dropped by one mile a gallon. Okay. So so, so, so not a lot. So ba- so basically, we're hitting right about even or so. Yeah. Now, here's one more. Got real curious. Okay. So I took a look at a 2016 Ram 1500 all-wheel drive with the V8 uh, and the V8, the 5.7 liter V8. Right. And a six-speed automatic, which is which is a volume vehicle for them. Uh, the original was 13 city, 19 highway. Uh, revised, 13 city, 19 highway. Didn't change. Didn't change. And they said that a lot of vehicles would not change. So that's that's not unusual. And I just took three. I took a car. I took a crossover. And, you took a and I took a truck because I really wanted to know – when they said that most wouldn't see changes and some would only be one to two miles a gallon. Mm-hmm. So in that fact, that's exactly what happened. Well, and I think one of the other things to look at, I think you said it best, what's cha- what changes the fuel economy, I think, are the two things you mentioned. Road conditions, what's the weather outside, and how you drive. Mm-hmm. Because some of us have a lead foot. What? Some of us don't. What? Lead foot. Oh That's... my goodness. That's not, not a thing. I do not have a lead foot. Okay. <laughs> well, let me speaking speaking of safety. <laughs> okay. Uh let's talk about we the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety does a lot of work with testing, crash testing vehicles and setting standards. And a lot of good work let's add to that. Yeah, well, of course. Um and we talk a lot about it here. Right. Uh, I get a monthly newsletter from them. And uh, it's chock full of good information. Uh, this past month, no exception. Um, they talked about their awards. Now, in case you didn't know, they've got two. They've got two awards when they're evaluating vehicles. It's called Top Safety Pick Plus and Top Safety Pick. And these are vehicles that are going to perform in an accident situation uh, above average. In other words, if you're looking for a safe vehicle, you'd want to look at. Vehicles on one of these two lists. Now, I will go as far as to say that the Safety Pick Plus actually came out, and I want to see it because I had it before, uh, because that came out 
I want to say in 2013. 2013. Uh, is when Safety Pick Plus came out. Um, so they, they the top Safety Pick was their l- biggest one for a long time. Then they went a little higher to reflect the improving safety features of vehicles. Right. Now, they just tightened up Top Safety Pick Plus even more uh, to include uh, passenger side crash tests okay. and how they do. All right. The offset front crash tests mm-hmm. and the quality of the headlights, believe it or not. Okay. That's the one that threw me. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they looking for in headlights? Uh, distance. Okay. Brightness. Right. And to be able to see. Kind of common sense stuff. Do they also counter against the fact that it blinds the oncoming traffic on a two-lane road? You remember when the blue lights came oh. out? And you know what that did to me? Turned my stomach. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, people. What you're talking about is uh, high-intensity discharge headlights or xenon headlights. Yep. We've now gone LED headlights, which are brighter, actually. But it got to an issue of aim, distance, being able to see a object at so many feet low beam as opposed to high beam. Right. And the adjustment. Remember, we've had... Up till the late 70s, we used to have seal beam headlights. Correct. Everybody had them. Right. The government relaxed the laws, which allowed the automakers to do some styling. In their styling of styling headlights, uh, they weren't nearly as good as they used to be. And okay. as a res- are, we t- are we talking the round ones versus the square ones? No, we're past that point. Where now you've got vehicles. If you go out there, the lenses are all different types of lenses. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That affects distance, that affects lumens, Correct. that affects all that stuff. And the IIHS is saying, hey, we want to judge this stuff because people need to see at night. Yeah, I like the ones where the actual headlight goes like it, it's encompassing around the sides. Mm-hmm. Because that way, when my headlights actually go on, the light is actually broadcast in a much wider V. From both angles. Correct. Especially when you're going down the two-lane highways. That way you're able to see someone in the ditches as opposed to just straight ahead I of the will, car. I will say it this way. I want to be able to see at night. 18, I'm sorry, 15 vehicles made top safety pick plus. They were Kias, Subarus, Toyota, BMW, Genesis, One Lincoln, Mercedes, and Hyundai. And I'm sorry, two Mercedes. When I return, made in America. It's a thing and there's news. Next, this is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthydrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show. anymore. That quality counts for nothing and hard work for even less. And commitment, that went out with a hula hoop. Well, when you've been kicked in the head like we have, you learn pretty quick to put first things first. And in the car business, product comes first. And product is what brought us back to prosperity. High mileage, front wheel drive, quality products. 
by the way, with the best safety recall record over the last two full model years of any American cars. Convertibles, they said, nobody wanted, but everybody copied. Sports cars and luxury cars with turbos so powerful, so efficient, you'll never go back to a V8 again. And a wagon so versatile, so right for America today, we can't build enough of them. Not bad for a company that had one foot in the grave. Today, every man and woman at Chrysler has a commitment to build cars that will take on the best. We will build two sedans this fall, LeBaron GTS and Dodge Lancer, that will challenge BMW, Audi, even Mercedes for thousands less. And next year, we will build a small car right here in America with quality that we're determined will beat the Japanese at their own game. And we will build the best-backed American cars with five-year or 50,000-mile protection. Quality, hard work, commitment. The stuff America was made of. Without them, there is no future. I have one and only one ambition for Chrysler, to be the best. What else is there? We at Chrysler pay our loans the old-fashioned way. We pay them back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Lee Iacocca, Detroit Economic uh, Luncheon, 1983. The government money that they borrowed, they paid back seven years early. Yeah. We at Chrysler borrow money the old-fashioned way. We pay it back. That is extremely old-fashioned, yes. Well, and not only that, too, but you got to admit, anybody that was growing up at that time or watching those commercials will tell you that Lee Iacocca was brutally honest. Considering where he came from, which was from Ford, yep, no, but got fired by Henry II. And got to run the car company he wanted to run. He originally wanted to run the Ford Motor Company. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll be polite, but it didn't end well. Um, If you're just wondering what you walked into, welcome to segment two of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, and it ties right into what I want to talk about, Made in America. Now, the company that evolved from the new Chrysler Corporation Mm -hmm. is now known as Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, LLC. Correct. And I'm going to be honest, I've been hard on them. I've been very hard on them as of late. But I have news. Okay. I have news. And and I want to be clear about the news. Now, anyone that's been following this program for some time know how adamant I am about Made in America. And what you might not know, Sasha definitely doesn't know, is I actually, full, full disclaimer. Okay. I tried to go to work for Chrysler when I came out of college. What? It, did, it didn't happen, but I tried. Um, I want to say that Fiat Chrysler is moving a plant from Mexico to the United States. They're spending $1 billion to modernize their Warren truck assembly plant, which is right off of 8 Mile in Warren, Michigan. Okay, now is that plant in operation right now, or was yes, that it shut is. down? No, no, no. It's in operation. Okay, but what they're doing, they're going to move the production of heavy trucks of their forty-five hundred and fifty-five hundred heavy-duty pickups from Mexico, from their plant in Mexico mm-hmm. to Warren. They're going to take the half tons which they were building at Warren over to Sterling Heights, which used to build the Dodge Dart. Well, I'm sorry, used to build uh, the Chrysler two hundred. Okay, the Dart was built in Belvedere. Yep, uh, money. This will happen by 2020. Now, before everybody gets happy about this thing, let me also remind you this. This is straight from the union. 
Okay. Uh, the UAW has had an ongoing dialogue with FCA dating back prior to 2015 negotiations about the trucks moving back to U.S. production from Mexico and the additional jobs to come with it. I just want to be clear. In the car business, you don't move this kind of stuff on a whim just because somebody says you should. Since 2015. Yeah. Wow. This kind of stuff gets negotiated in union contracts, people. Yeah. It doesn't just happen. You can't. There's billions of dollars. There's lead times. All of this stuff's going to be negotiated. And at the end of the day, uh, sorry, it still has to make sense. And let's, and let's face business one thing. Business is business, people. And let's face one thing. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take them to modernize that plant where they need it to be? They will have it up and running for 2020. 2020. Okay. So 20, so are they, you're saying 2019 for the 2020 model yes, year? Pro- okay. more than likely. Um, it's going to add. 2,500 jobs. Yeah. That's a good piece. Yep. But I am not done yet. What? But wait, there's more. Oh, there <laughs> is. Um, just really quickly, um, they spent $350 million at Belvedere, created 300 jobs, 700 new jobs, and $700 million at Toledo in Ohio, $1.5 billion Sterling Heights Assembly Plant to build the, 50, the 2019 1500 Ram. Mm-hmm. A billion dollars in the South Plant of Toledo Assembly to build that all-new Jeep pickup truck. Yeah. And, oh, part of that money at Warren Truck Plant is going to also build a new Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Just saying. Okay. Wait, now. Yeah, we just made news. Yeah. That Wait. is that is Chrysler's uh, announcement, by the way. Wait. Their press release. Okay. Here's my question. Yeah. When is the Jeep pickup coming out? Thank 20, you. Probably 2020. Okay, so the, you're thinking the, that all of this stuff that's going to happen is going to come out in 2020. The, well, I would say you will see it in the next three to four years, gradually, depending. Okay. Okay. But I'm not done. You remember the conversation we were having and everybody got excited in our home state right here because Toyota <laughs> and Mazda were looking for a plant. Yep. Yes. And I told you then, no yep. way, no how. No yep. way, no how. Uh-huh. I got a word for you. Yes, sir. Alabama. What? Huntsville. It went to Alabama? Yeah. You know why? Why? Because 14 miles away from where they're going to build this plant mm-hmm. is their largest engine plant in the world that employs okay. 1,600. Remember I told you it was going to take infrastructure to do it yep. and the nearness of suppliers? If you're going to build a Toyota Corolla, you've got to be really conscious about price. Price yep. means transportation, building a supplier base. All that had to be there. And... What did Alabama and the city of Huntsville together give them? I have no idea. $700 million. Oh, that helps too. Could I just to get- spend, wait a minute, to spend $1.6 billion, And when this thing is online by 2021, they will employ 4,000 people, uh, excuse me, in the United States of America. Thank you okay, very much. Okay, wait a minute, stop. That 4,000, is that 4,000 new jobs yes. or total? No, okay. new. That, new. Wow. They already employ 1,600 in that engine plant. Wow. And uh, to- may I quote, Toyota already has major parts making operations in Alabama and builds cars in several U.S. assembly plants. Yeah. Uh, infrastructure in Alabama, yeah, 57,000 people. Total? Yeah. I mean, that's not just Toyota. That's plants right. and everything. But again, infrastructure, 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 people. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, I'm at, not surprised. At one point in time, on one of the corners on one of the, the main east-west streets here, yeah. they were going to build a Saturn plant back in the either late 80s, late 80s. Or, or late 80s, early 90s. Same issue. Infrastructure, infrastructure, yeah. infrastructure. And they wouldn't give them what they wanted. Well, you know, that's it.
When we come back, look, Ma, no hands. GM asked the Department of Transportation to do away with manual controls in their cars, and that's next. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. This is the third segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Thank you for dropping in. For those of you who want or need more than your fair share of the road, check out the show website. That is www.roadworthydrive.com. There, find video clips of our behind-the-scenes antics and mayhem. 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 Yes, as we produce the show in studio. You can also listen to audio clips of past shows and more. The website's also a great place to discover where to find us in the social media universe. Sasha is our social media diva, and I use the word diva <laughs> on purpose. She keeps things light and lively during the week as she shares her discoveries of notable and quotable news items of automotive interest. See how she keeps the social in our social media. You'll be glad you did. Okay, wait a minute. I mm-hmm. thought you and I banned Mayhem from the studio. Okay, but he gave me chocolate chip cookies. Mayhem? Yeah, that, yeah, that would do no, that. No, we're... Isn't, he with, <laughs> isn't he with Allstate or something? Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> oh, just, However, just... I was trying not to use a product name. Hello? <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, well, you know, he hangs out who he hangs out with. What can I say? Move along. And occasionally, he's here. All right, people. Look, Ma... No hands. I will never buy another GM vehicle again. Oh, now you stop it. You play like you bought one before. Actually, yes. yes. Oh, that's right, because you had the uh, Yeah, the when, truck. I ha- when, yeah. I ha- when I had the, I've had a tr- Chevy truck, mm-hmm. I've had a Chevy conversion van, too. And you know what? He'll oh, get yeah. people, he'll get over it. I know he will. He will. GM is going full speed in the autonomous vehicle space with their application before the U.S. Department of Transportation to eliminate all the manual controls for an upcoming production vehicle that they are already tooled up to build. Uh, Jack? Yeah? I told you this was coming. I know you told me this was coming. I'm in denial. And yes, it's a river in Egypt. I've been telling you this for some time, sir, that this was coming. I know. And I told you GM was going to do it in 2018, didn't I? Yes, you did. This would have been a nice moment to cue up that country song, I told you so. Yeah, I know. No, but we're okay. (laughs) No, no. But let's talk about this for a minute. All right, first of all, to calm Jack down a little bit, it's not everything, okay? It's not the truck. It's just the important parts. Okay, hold on you. <laughs> GM's cruise automation unit has announced plans to carry passengers in self-driving cars that won't have a backup driver in 2019. The location of the service has not yet been revealed. GM and other companies have tested autonomous cars on the road, yet their vehicles typically have an engineer behind the wheel because, you know, you need an engineer behind the wheel. Right now, yes. Reading to take over or ready to take over in the case the need arises. Reading, ready. (laughs) Writing, arithmetic. We don't know. Yeah, the three R's. (laughs) Now, the head of GM's cruise automation actually said this. What's really special about this is that if you look back 20 years from now, it's the first car without steering wheels and pedals. He said it. He, let's forget the order we talked about from Uber 
to Volvo for autonomous vehicles. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we reported on that. Yep. Because, you know, we like to keep our listeners up to date on stuff. Well, I mean, did I understand that Uber made the order, but were the Volvo vehicles going to have? The Volvo SC90, which it's based on, right. and the SC40, which is coming out, were both developed with full autonomy in mind. Right. But did they have the steering wheel and the pedals? Good question. I believe the XC90 will. Right. I am not so sure about the XC40 in autonomous mode. Right. And who knows? Maybe it's one of these that when you go autonomous, it disappears in the dashboard. That would be cool. Like, that would be wicked Actually, cool. a number of years ago, I believe, oh, what company was it that actually showed that? Um, I want to say it was uh, one of the tech companies. And I, I can't uh, think of them uh, now. Uh, 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 yeah. that, that actually showed a car that Google? did. No. Wasn't Google um, begins with C. I can't remember which one, but it's okay. Okay, not it's not that critical. Um, the thing I really want to talk about: GM didn't just bust out and make that statement. And for the record, the vehicle they're talking about is a Chevy Bolt EV, which they've cruised. They've renamed it now the Cruise AV. Wait, what? Letters, letters. Okay. I. Bolt with a B. They were getting confused with Bolt with a V. No. Uh, yeah. Like that, they didn't Bolt see that Bolt as coming. in screw, as in Bolt with a B, uh-huh. EV, the new one, which was built from the ground up to be fully autonomous. Right. And fully electric. Now, they show a picture, and you may have seen it. Uh, I didn't think that the interior was all that creative. Yeah, I didn't Honestly, like it either. I-, I thought they could have went a little further with that. But basically, it's an interior without the stuff, but... Not really reimagined. Mm-mm. Basically, if you think of the inside of the vehicle, take away the dash, take away your, your, your readouts, your steering wheel, your brake, all of that. Basically, the left side where the driver is looks like the right side where the passenger is with a and, center pod. And they've yeah. even got, like, even the driver's side, it's just oh, it's okay. the driver's side. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I guess I would have liked something like with the conversion van where the seats would turn around. Where they, and, the seats would swivel. Right, yeah. where the swi- seats would swivel. I would have liked something that was a little bit more. Two companies that are a little bit more creative than this. But, right. again, these were prototypes. Uh, yep. uh, Mercedes Visions, Mercedes yes. Vision 2030 yes. mm-hmm. came out a couple of years ago. was gorgeous. Beautiful. Uh, SEMA. Uh, Kia took a stab at it in their Kia Soul yes. for an autonomous. I got pictures of that. That was kind of cool. Yep. Um, and I think what you're seeing, I mean, these are these are first stabs. And I think as we get into autonomous and then we go into the next level of actually designing an interior that reflects autonomous once the newness wears off of autonomy, then mm-hmm. they'll concentrate on the interior experience where we're not at. Okay. The one thing looking at that picture mm-hmm. that I guess that I would want on the driver's side or the passenger side, either one. Okay. A way that you could pull something out of the dash that would allow you to set a laptop up there so you could do your work. See? Yeah. I mean, that's and that's but here's easy. But wait. But hold on. Here's the issue. We've got laws and federal safety standards that are lagging behind autonomy. Even with an autonomous car, right now, until those standards change, there's certain safety features, passive protection features that still have to be built into these cars until Congress says different. And probably the airbag is the biggest thing holding you back from being able to do that. Now, the thing is, GM put out this big, long, 30-page treatise about the extent to which they went and developed this car. 
Wow. And they went into everything, even cybersecurity, everything. Wow. It's not just... Gee, we developed the car and threw some stuff on it. Now it's autonomous. No. <laughs> no. No. They, they went, and in the DNA of this vehicle, in, the ver- in any system, autonomy, cybersecurity, crash protection, anti-hacking, all of this. In other words, they were listening to Jack again. <laughs> right. And they were concerned because well, Jack would have a fit. How many people do have Jack's fears and Jack's concerns about the autonomous future? I mean, even I, who am readily willing to take my car, I will gladly go autonomous today. Let me have it. Even I have concerns about my security, about my personal privacy. Here's the problem. Really quick. N- this reminds me of, ni- Alexa reminds me of 1984. Yes. The George Orwell. Yes. Okay. okay. Because if they can record every single conversation I'm having, I have a problem. Okay, but we ain't talking about uh, Alexa I in un- this. I understand that. So we'll get there. For the final segment, electric versus gasoline, cost savings or unfair advantage. You're riding along with Ken and Roadworthy Drive. is Roadworthy Drive. Welcome to the fourth and final segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. It's no secret that here on Roadworthy Drive, we've spent a lot of time talking about alternatively fueled vehicles with electrics in general and battery electrics in particular, taking the lion's share of the conversation and, of course, the debate. And there's been much debate. Much debate. Much debate. We have followed the following prices of battery storage capacity and how it figured into the overall cost. But here's a question, and I think it's an honest one. Where does that stand relative to gasoline prices? For a number of years now, advances in technology have succeeded at making American producers more and more efficient to the point where the United States is actually now an exporter of both natural gas and lightly processed petroleum products. We actually export stuff outside the country. Yep. Yep. There's always been a small but vocal group that demands that the actual cost of producing the electricity that recharges the battery electric car be included in the calculation. Well, I did a little research into that, mm-hmm. and here's what I learned. Go ahead. Um, we often uh, go to surveys that are done by the University of Michigan. They put out a lot of good automotive subject surveys. That are not bought for one side or the other. And this one's no exception. Uh, this study, we're going to start with the study, but I actually went deep. Because I wanted to find out, and I ended up stumbling across, the different fuels used in the United States to generate electricity. Okay. Everything okay. from nuclear power to, to oil to oil to coal. Okay. And, and we'll get gas. natural gas. Water. And we'll, uh, hydroelectric and a few other interesting things. Solar. Wind, solar, yep. all, all apart. Okay. And we'll get back to that in a moment because it was very... I learned something that blew my socks off about coal. I didn't know. Do we need to be prepared for your socks falling off this Probably, because right. I went, what? Air freshener. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> Here's the thing. Based on 15,000 miles a year, okay. um, they look state by state, and it boils down to this. 
the current average annual cost of driving a typical new gasoline vehicle in the United States. Now, they're using the average that they've calculated, which is a little over 25 miles a gallon, is the, is the average of the fleet. Okay. okay. All right. Um, uh, is $1,117 a year, national average. From a high of $1,509 in Hawaii to a low of $993 in Alabama. Now, hold on to your socks. The current average annual cost of driving a new battery electric vehicle in the United States is $485 a year with a maximum of $1,106 in Hawaii and a minimum of $367 in Louisiana. Rest my case. Hold on. We're stuck. The required fuel economy that gasoline vehicles would need to exceed for driving them to be less than driving a battery electric nationally, you have to be getting 57.6 miles to the gallon. In the United States, with a maximum of 90 miles to the gallon in Washington State mm. and a minimum of 34.1 miles to the gallon in Hawaii. Okay. For those of you that didn't see this, because you can't see Sasha, she just basically took a bottle of water, <laughs> held it out, dropped it, dropped like she it. did a mic drop, oh, yeah. no, just to get a reaction out of the producer. <laughs> well, see, the producer has prohibited us from dropping mics. Oh, it yes, is, I it, it is a jailable offense in this oh, studio. My, yes, and I was actually a friend of mine. She was like, and I dropped the mic. I was like, don't do that. They're too expensive. <laughs> no kidding. Let, but here's the thing. Now. That led to a question uh, that said, okay, the, the counter-argument is, yeah, but you're not calculating the cost and, and the pollution that comes with the plant that produced it. I'm like, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Oh, wait, then, the then plant po- that produced it? The, electric. the, the, the electricity. Because, because you're going to have pollution with natural gas. you got pollution with, with coal. coal. So in other words... But if you wouldn't look at, you also include the plant that produces the gas, the combustion engine vehicles? But it already is. is. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Because you've got that already wrapped up in the emissions and all of that. I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. okay. Now, bombshell. Okay. Uh, let me get to this thing. Oh, and our state is kind of in the middle. I figured, yeah. Annual cost for gasoline, mm-hmm. uh, $1,084. Okay. Uh, electricity cost, $456, which is about national average. Mm-hmm. Uh, required uh, equal, a car in our state would have to get 59.4 miles to the gallon mm-hmm. to equal. Now, let me say this, and let me bring your memory back, because right now the EPA has not watered down their 2025 standard yet. Right. That standard requires the corporate Average fuel economy of domestic fleets sold in the United States to be 52.4. I'm sorry, 54.5 miles to the gallon. Yep. Yep. A little over double what it is now. Yep. Let that settle a minute. Even at double, even if they meet the standard, in most states, it's still cheaper to drive an electric car. I'm, yeah, Boom. I drop I, I drop something, but I might get crucified. You want to borrow it? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Because it's worth doing it again. I know. Uh, <laughs> and she's doing it again. Um, that leads a question. Um, coal. As of last as of 2014, coal power in the United States accounted for 39% of the country's electricity production. Okay. Largest place where coal is mined? 
West Virginia. No, they are number two. Where? Powder River Basin, Wyoming. Really? Oh, yes. I yeah. didn't know that. And, well, and those, I, wait a minute. Here's the part that blew my socks off. Uh, get warning. out of the line of fire. Yeah, get out of the line of fire. That coal mm-hmm. in Powder River mm-hmm. is owned by the federal government. Stop. Stop. Really? And Stop. we're giving the producers $8 a ton credit Stop. for every ton they produce. They're the number one producer of coal in the United States. Stop. Well, yeah, 40% the- of the coal that gets burned in a power plant comes from Powder River out of two railroads that carry it. Yep. The Union Pacific and the Burlington Northern. Yep. Because- and a lot of those trains come this way. Yeah, a lot of them come through our state. That's yep. what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, here's the thing. Um, coal, as a percentage, continues to fall. Yeah. And will. So even even if you are currently living in a place where you've got coal-fired plants generating your electricity, mm-hmm. those plants are being retired, and a whole bunch of them got retired back in 2016, I replaced so. with natural gas right. of anything. So even if you just, regardless where you live, buying an electric vehicle even in a few years will even be cleaner than it is now as coal continues to lose popularity yeah. because of what it costs to clean it, mine it, transport it, burn it. So there you go. Cheaper. And we never did find out from Jack what his preference was. But in any case, <laughs> another hour is coming gone. Be sure to tune in next time we do it all again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive team, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.